Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Guys, if you're taking notes, remember, let me give you, uh, uh, let me give you an outline of the book of Genesis so you can see kind of where we are as we make verse by verse um, through, the book of, through, through this book, as we make our way verse by verse. If you recall, we started out with the creation story. It was Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Genesis chapter 2, 3. And really, when we talk about the creation story, that was really the best part of the book because sin hadn't come, and it was just like it was just in a, and just an amazing, amazing paradise in the Garden of Eden. And so we saw that. Then we moved over to Adam and Eve's story, okay? Adam and Eve's story. That started in Genesis 2, 4 all the way to chapter 532. We've been hanging out with Adam and Eve. We got to understand them a little bit. We got to learn from them. And then we said goodbye to Adam and Eve, and then we, we started with the Noah's story. Noah's story started in Genesis chapter 6 all the way to 1132. So we're really going to say goodbye to Genesis. Well, we said goodbye to Noah last week, and so we say, no, so you go, well, where are we? Well, right now we're going to start Abraham's story. Abraham's story, now jot this down, okay? Abraham's story starts from Genesis chapter 12, Guys, all the way to Genesis 25. Genesis chapter 12, all the way to 25. So we're going to hang out with Abraham for quite a bit, okay? So that's kind of where we are. Well, Abraham has a son, and his name is Isaac. And from chapter 25, 19, all the way to, to chapter 28, we'll hear Isaac's story. Beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit, amazing time hanging out with Isaac. And then Isaac goes from there, we'll go to Jacob's story, okay? Now, Isaac has two sons, but they're only focusing on Jacob, Hakobo, that's from Genesis 28:10 to 36. So we'll spend some time seeing, you know, seeing Jacob and run off to uh, his uncle Laban and so forth. You'll, we'll look at that and then, and then we'll see the story of Joseph. Joseph is from Genesis 37 all the way to Genesis 50. So Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, these are all coming up and we're going to spend a lot of time. So sometimes we'll move real fast, sometimes we'll move real slow and just kind of get the, the, the best of it. So we're in three stories into really his story, and that's why we called the series His Story, and we've learned a lot about mankind, and hopefully we've applied the text to our lives. Now, what I want to do is I want to take you back just a moment, and I want to remind you what we talked about, okay? The first two chapters of this book were amazing, they were awesome. God created the heavens and the earth. And, and actually in Hebrew, it's Barashith Elohim Barashimayim. I mean, this is it. God created the heavens and the earth. And it was amazing. And then we saw in Genesis chapter 3 that man discovered sin. Sin enters the world and fractures everything and everyone. It was, it was just unbelievable. And later on, we learned, guys, that man had become evil and wicked. Here's what the Bible says, and you can jot this down somewhere. You can highlight it if you have it. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 6 says, Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of his thoughts of his heart were evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And if you jump a little bit further in, in chapter 6, verse 12, it says, So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So 
God had called Noah, remember guys, his instrument of righteousness. He told them, guys, listen, I want you to build an ark. I want you to build an ark. Now, here's what I want you to think about. Put your thinking caps on, okay? Most common, most people, most scholars, most commentaries said that it took Adam, or it took, I'm sorry, it took Noah at least 120 years to build an ark. We get that. It was 120 years. But I want to show you something in Scripture that goes, uh, it kind of makes you go, was it really 120? So I want you to put your thinking caps on. Was it 100? Did he take 100? Now, I love the concept that Noah, you know, spent 120 years building the ark because it shows me God's grace, okay? I get that. But if it's not, it's okay because we can still see God's grace. If it was 60 years or 80 years, we can still see that. But I want you to think a little bit. I want you to put that in the back of your mind, and I want you to see this. God says, Noah, yes, sir, build an ark. Why? I'm going to flood the earth. Oh, no, Lord, what are you going to do? He says, I'm going to flood the earth, and he was going to kill everyone and everything in the earth. Only those who get on the ark would be saved, right? He says, be saved. And, and, And the Bible tells us, guys, The Bible tells us that Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and as he was building, as he was hammering, as he was putting pitch, whatever he was doing, he was probably witnessing and he was sharing the love of of God for the people to get on the ark. There was no excuse. Well, there's not enough room. No, it's it's a very big ark. Don't worry about it. Well, no, we haven't seen rain in in a long, long time. Are you sure you're right? Don't worry about it. You've got to walk by faith, not by sight. Just because you haven't seen rain doesn't mean it's not going to rain. Can I get an amen? You go, why? Because that's, what, that's the argument today. Just because people have not seen this God that we love doesn't mean he doesn't exist. And it doesn't mean that there is a time coming where God is going to judge all of man's sin. And if you're not found in Christ, where, where, where are you going to be? And so we need to be like Noah, and we need to be preachers of righteousness. We need to tell people about Jesus. And I know we live in a city, guys, where people go, well, you know what? I would love to tell, I would love to tell people about Jesus, but guess what? Guess what? Everybody knows Jesus. Everybody says they're saved. They're saved. They're saved, and they're saved. But we want to tell them, and we want to live it, guys, so people see that there's a difference in our lives. We want to do that so people can see Jesus. And so... God tells Noah, listen, only those that are on the ark are saved. Unfortunately, how many people were saved? Eight. Eight people. So from Adam, okay, guys, we're tracking from Adam and Eve through Noah, we learned several things that we can apply to our lives, several things. So you go, like what? Well, jot this down. The one thing we learned, guys, is man, listen, is just as wicked and evil today as in the days of Noah. Man is just as wicked today. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 37 to 39. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it says this. When the Son of Man returns, when Jesus comes home, it will be like in the days of Noah. In those days before the flood, the people were joining, enjoying banquets, parties, weddings, right up until the time Noah entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. This is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. That's what it says in Matthew. Think about this. Think about what he's saying. Okay? Man, here's what we learn. Man is just in, you'll be in, yeah, of course man is, is evil and wicked. Of course, I see that. But what should it do to your heart? It should prompt you to keep looking because Jesus is coming back. You see, every time you're invited to a wedding, you go, oh, just like in the days of Noah, man, people are getting me. They're not even paying attention. They're not even thinking oh, Jesus could come back. Just the people were just kind of hanging out and they had no clue, the Bible says, until the flood came and swept them away. 
We want to make sure as a church, guys, and as Christians, that nobody's left behind. We'll do our very best. I want to tell people about him. I want to, I want to share the love of Jesus with them. I want, to, I want to know that you're saved. I want to know that you really believe. Please don't believe just because I say you believe. Don't believe just because your parents say you believe. Believe because you believe and there's Jesus. And you go, okay, okay. That's what we learn. Guys, think about our world, even wickedness, okay? Now, listen, I can only illustrate it so much, but I want to illustrate it this way. Last night I went home and I turned on, and of course, the State of the Union address was on. And whether you voted for Trump or not makes no difference. He is our president. God, the Bible says that he, God put him in there. Okay, God puts our presidents in there. And, and so what I loved about our president, guys, is that he is, is, has a voice for the unborn. Okay, and, and, and the thing about it is that, is that he began to spill out. And I can only watch just a little bit, but I, what I noticed is that we're a divided country. And when we talk about the unborn, many people clapped and a lot of people didn't. And they sat there like this. And I was like, why are we, why are we so divided? Shouldn't we be united? I mean, his whole campaign was make America great. And, 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 and you can see this. And you can see this. Well, the problem is, is that man is continually getting wicked as in the days of Noah. But instead of flooding the earth, here's what God says. He says, I'm going to set my son to get his bride. I'm going to bring him back up for seven years. And then the world is going to experience tribulation like it's never seen before. It's going to be worse than the flood. And you can find what he's going to do in Revelation. You know, Ben, that scares me. It's not meant to scare you. What it is, it's meant to get us excited and say, man, I've got to do my part. I've got to do my part. People's lives are at stake. I, I need to do my part. I have to share Jesus. I don't want to be slack. I don't want to be lazy in telling people about God. That's the first thing. The second thing, jot this down. We learned with God that there's, he's a God of new beginnings. And I think that's important. Why? Because the number eight is significant. If you recall, God uses a lot of numbers in the Bible. Like 40 generally symbolizes a period of testing, a trial or probation. 40 years, right? Walking in the wilderness. We're going to test you. We're going to try you. How come you didn't believe? 40 is that number. You go, yeah, I remember that. He also uses the number 12. Number 12 is considered a perfect number that symbolizes God's power and authority as well as serving as the perfect governmental foundation. We had what? We have 12 months. You know, we have 12 apostles. I mean, you can see the number 12. Then we have the number five. Five was the number of man to the number of grace, right? God's grace to mankind. That's the number five. Eight, guys, symbolizes circumcision of a heart through Christ and receiving of the Holy Spirit. You go, what does that mean? If you're taking note, jot this down. Eight is the number of new beginnings, okay? God wipes out the entire world. Eight people are saved, and I love that because it symbolizes a new beginning. That's what happened to you when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. There should be a new beginning. There should be something going on in your heart that's new. It's a new life. It's a new walk. Not the old walk, a new walk. It's the number eight, a new beginning. Now, here's what I love about God. You guys ready? Listen to me. Catch this. No matter how bad we've messed things up, he stands with open arms to give us a new beginning. He stands with open arms to give us new hopes and new dreams. And I think every one of us can go, man, you don't know. There's times I've messed up so bad with God, I didn't think he'd ever want me back. I didn't think he'd ever want me back. But in this season, now remember, it's this season, guys, 
It's this season of God choosing not to hold our sins against us. Here's what we must do. We must embrace the cross and seek those new seasons, seek that new season walking with God. In other words, we go, I'm going to allow my choices in this new beginning. I'm going to lay them at the foot of the cross, and I'm going to say, I'm going to move forward. It's a new beginning. My life is going to be different. My life is going to be different. That's what we learned in the Bible. You go, Ben, what else did we learn? We learned a lot about worship. That's number three. We learned a lot about worship. And you go, how so? Well, remember, Noah worshipped before the storm, Noah worshipped during the storm, and then Noah worshipped after the storm, right? Is worship a part of your life? Guys, is it a part of your life, or is it a way of life for you? That's what you've got to ask. Is worship a part of my life? Oh, yeah, I love to worship. Or is it, is it a way of life for you? Everything you do leads to worship. Now, remember this, and this is so important, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. God often prepares us today for what's going to happen tomorrow. God often prepares us today. He's going to start preparing you for what may be coming down the road, right? And it often starts with worship. He wants to teach us to worship. Now, here's what we do, guys. We come to church and we go, yeah, the the first few minutes we call it worship and we get a guitar and we get some band and we go, man, that's worship and worship was great. But worship has to be so much more. It has to be embedded in our hearts. And the reason why is because we need to worship before the storm and then we need to worship during the storm. As a matter of fact, let me illustrate it this way. You know, Beverly, you know, um, she wasn't feeling well. She thought she was having a heart attack. She was rushed to the hospital on Saturday night. Well, Josh and I, you know, made our way to pray with her yesterday, and, and she, was, she was in good spirits, but she was just in the midst of a storm, She's laying in a hospital bed, and I just want to go home. I don't know if they're going to let me go home tomorrow, and so forth. And I, and I looked at her, and I said, Beverly, because she's been here on Wednesday nights. I said, Beverly, you need to worship in the storm. You need to worship in the storm. Right now, you're in the midst of the storm, right? She had pain, her back hurt, everything. I said, worship in the storm. And what I was reminded of is, is that God had been wanting her to worship even prior to the storm. And he began preparing her. And that's where it comes from, guys. It comes from setting your heart. It comes from setting your heart. If you've had a bad day, if you had a bad day, man, the best thing, the best remedy is get, in, get alone with God and worship. Put on some music and just worship. It does something to you. It changes you. It's hard to yell at people when you've just been worshiping. Now, if you still do, I don't know about that, but I know that worship, worship God. Why? Because that's what Noah did. He taught us to worship God in the midst of the storm in the midst of the storm. Number four, another great lesson we learned from Noah, and I love this one, is that you can blow it, you can make a bad choice, and you can still be considered righteous. You go, what do you mean? Well, think about this. You remember Noah planted a vineyard, right? He planted a vineyard, he got drunk, he lay naked in his tent, things weren't cool, and yet Noah was considered righteous, and you go, well, how come? Because he had faith in God. Now, here's the point I want to make. As Christians, we're human. Can I get an amen? amen? We're him, And we think and we walk with human emotions. That's who we are. And sometimes, if we can be honest, our emotions get the best of us. Our emotions get the best of us, and we make a bad choice. Ever been there? Anybody ever make an emotional decision that was a bad choice? Of course, we all have. A choice that goes against God's word. Oh, I can't believe it. I'm an emotional. I'm upset. I can't believe this. You don't understand. And 
we make a bad choice. I think that that was kind of Noah's deal, right? Noah's like, man, I'm going to plant a vineyard. I'm going to squish these grapes. I'm going to leave them there. I'm going to see what happens. Now, Noah knew. He never said Noah was drunk before, but he sure knew about drinking before God flooded the earth. Well, here's the thing, guys. Here's the thing. Here's what we need to rest on. You ready? We need to rest on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We need to fully embrace and understand grace because the same grace that saved us is going to be the same grace that sustains us when we make a bad choice, when we blow it. That same grace that saved you, we have to rest in that. Now, I want to make two points real quick, okay, and then I want to move on to our text. Let me give you a disclaimer, okay, first and foremost. Make sure our bad choices are not habitual, Okay, make sure our bad choices are not, we're not in the habit of doing it because I'm going, oh, I'm under grace. I can do this all day long. No, bro, it's sin. Well, I know it's sin, but I can still do it because I'm under grace. That's not, that's not, here's what the word of God says. Jot this down. First John 3, 9 says this. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they're children of God. In other words, guys, if you're truly born again, you're truly a child of God, you can't sin habitually. You can't. Oh, okay. Okay. So those of you that have been born into God's family, welcome, but do not make a practice of sinning. Right away, that just, I mean, right? Well, I'm under grace. Well, here's the thing. Yes, you are, but you just can't go out and keep doing the same thing. Sometimes we need to read what's, what's there, and sometimes we need to read what's not there, okay? What happens if you do make it a practice of sinning? Well, it says because God's life is in them, well, then that would mean that God's life is not in them. And then you'd have to do a heart check and go, am I really born again? Am I really walking with God? That's the first point. We don't want to make an habitual sin. Number two, we want to talk about the accuser. Okay, the accuser. Why? I wanted to give you real quick, and we're not, we won't go into detail, but I want to give you three ways that he loves to accuse us to the Father. Okay, that's what he wants to do. Number one, here's what he wants to do. The accuser attacks our heart and our conscience. That's the first thing he does. He comes up and he attacks. Let me give you a scripture reference to look up later for homework. Zechariah chapter 3, 1 through 5. He attacks our heart and our conscience. That's what he does. Oh, you made a bad choice. Oh, you keep on sinning. Oh, right? In the context, right? In the context, we make a human decision. It's a bad choice. Oh, you know what? You're not even saved. You're not saved. You might as well just forget it. You're not even a Christian. God doesn't love you. And again, remember, where does he attack? He attacks our heart and our conscience. You go, what else? Number two, his weapons are those accusations. You know, what does he, what does he seek to produce? He seeks to produce guilt and shame. That's what he seeks to produce. He wants to get us where we're walking around with a heavy bag, a backpack, if you will, of guilt and shame. I can't believe I did that. I should have never done that. Are you kidding me? Oh, my goodness. And so when people see you, they see you hunched over because you're carrying all the guilt and shame of some of the bad decisions you've made. Anybody with me? You tracking with me? Okay. So, again, think about it. That's what he does. And so then we see number three an indictment by God's will so to bring about 
guilt, an indictment by God's will, so to bring about guilt. Same thing, he wants to produce guilt and shame. And we can see that in Second Corinthians chapter 7, an indictment by God's will, and so bring about guilt. That's what we want to see. Those just real quick, don't make sure it's not, make sure guys, it's not habitual and be careful with the three ways that the accuser loves to accuse us to the father. Let me give you the fifth one. Okay. Moving on the fifth one. And this is important. Okay. Here's what we learned. Okay. What parents do in moderation, children do in excess, good or bad. Write that down. That's key. What parents do in moderation, children do in excess. You go, how so? Prove it from the Bible. Well, do you remember Ham? Do you remember Ham? Ham, it says in Genesis 9.22, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and he told his two brothers outside. Now, remember, Ham got, I mean, Noah got drunk, right? He went in his tent, took off all his clothes, and Ham did something. I just don't know what he did. I don't know if he looked. I don't know if he touched. We just don't know what he did. But I do know that something happened. You go, why? Because now when Noah wakes up and he goes, man, I know what Ham did. He doesn't curse Ham. He actually curses his son, Canaan. Canaan. And you go, why would he curse Canaan? Well, think about this, okay? Think about this. In the context, what parents do in moderation, whether good or bad, children are going to do in excess. You guys with me? Move your head like this if you're with me. Okay. Think about this. What, who, who were the descendants of Canaan? Well, the descendants of Canaan actually established cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. Those were Canaanites. Those were the des- descendants of Canaan. And you go, well, what happened? Well, if you recall, two messengers arrive at Sodom, and Lot shows them great respect and hospitality, just like Abraham did. But the rest of Sodom is not so hospitable. Basically, the people, listen to this, the people, these two strangers, these two messengers come in and they want to have sex with them. That's how bad it is. You go, no way. The Bible doesn't say that. It does. They want to they do this. So what Lot does is he steps out of his house. He asks the guys to knock it off. He offers his two virgin daughters, which blows my mind. Okay, he, he, he does this, right? He says, here are, my, here are my daughters instead, right? And that makes me want to punch Lot in the nose. But I mean, I understand. But what, here's what they do. They threaten to rape Lot and then their guests... But the guests, the messengers, grab Lot, and they bring him inside, and they blind the men outside. Do you remember the story? And it says they blind them with a bright light that none of them could find the door. And yet they're still trying to find the door. You're just like, okay, okay. The two messengers say, Lot, it's time to leave. You need to get your family and let's get out of here because it's going to, it's going to rain down on this city. It's going to, I mean, the, God's going to destroy this city. And sure enough, the Lord rains fire and brimstone upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Everything is wiped out. The cities, everybody, all the inhabitants except Lot. And even what's growing in the soil. Do you guys remember the story? He says, he goes to his son-in-laws and he says, hey, come on, we got to go. God's going to destroy the city. And Lot had such a good character witness that his son-in-law thought he was joking. (laughs) Seriously, you're such a jokester. Ah, Go on with your day. We're going to, no, you got to come. You got to come. Well, he begins to leave. You guys remember what happened? 
And Lot's wife turns around, and what happens to her? She became a pillar of salt and pepper. No, she wasn't pepper. It was just salt. She dies. She just became a pillar of salt. Now, when you go and you lay in the Dead Sea and you see the salt content, you'll go, I believe it. I believe it. Because Sodom and Gomorrah is right at the bottom of the Dead Sea. Okay, that's where they believe it is. And I don't know if a whirlwind came up or whatever it might be. But if, if you lay in the Dead Sea, if you have a cut you did not know about, you'll know about it right away. You can feel that. Side. Oh, 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 that stings. Ouch. Ooh. Okay. Anywhere you have an open wound, that salt goes and it's like. And the thing about it is that they say you can lay in the Dead Sea. Now, here's, what, here's what's the cool thing about the Dead Sea. You can lay in the Dead Sea and you won't go under. You won't go under. People freak out because they know it's water and they start splashing around trying to think. All you have to do is just relax and you'll just, let, you'll just float. You will just float. Now, they tell you because of the salt content in the Dead Sea, you can only be in there for 10 minutes at a time. It dries you up that bad. You have to get out. You have to take a shower. They have showers right there and you have to drink lots of water. That's how bad it is. So when Lot's wife turned around, I am, I am more than positive, I believe it with all my heart, that she did turn into a pillar of salt. Now the world goes, really? Salt? You'll, you, 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 you can see. You can see. So what parents do in moderation, I don't know what Ham did. I don't know what he looked at, but we know that he and his kids ended up having Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's a mess. You go, what else? Well, jot this down. How about this? Let me give you another example. How about King David and Solomon? King David and Solomon, right? You go, how so? God told us at the beginning, one wife. One wife, okay? That's all we should have. Did you know that King David had eight wives? He ended up having eight. This is, this is a man after God's own heart, had eight wives. And you're like, wow. But what did God tell us? Help me, church. God told us what? One wife. You guys are too quiet. Come on. One wife. One wife. And I know Adam's going, one's enough. I'm telling you right now. One is, that's plenty to deal with. Amen? Amen. But David had eight. And guess what Solomon had? 700. Solomon had 700 wives. And we're not even going to mention his concubines, which were 300. You know, so what's the point? The point is, guys, is we can look in Scripture and we can, we can really, we can just apply this. You go, what's the lesson that we learned? Let's be careful what we do because our, our kids are going to see what we do and they're going, to, they're going to do it in excess. You go, Ben, that's really good news. It is if you're doing God's will. Because if they see you doing God's will, then they'll look at your life and they'll end up doing God's will. Now, let me just say this as a disclaimer. They may take a little side road and you're going, oh my goodness, Lord, I just, this, this has been my kids. I, I don't know why they're, I don't know why they're walking away from me right now. They may take a little detour, but they will always come back. What you do in moderation and the word of God in prayer in worship, your kids your kids will see that, and they can do it in excess. They can do it in excess. Your kids are going to go far, farther, and do more than we've ever done. Now, as we come to our text, guys, we've said goodbye to Noah. We need to get acquainted with Abraham. For you see, we're going to hang out with Abraham for the next 12 chapters or so. And so last week we left off with the genealogy of Ham, Shem, and Japheth. 
We talked briefly a little bit about the Tower of Babel located in the plain of Shinar. Does anybody know where that is? Anybody know where the plain of Shinar is? Last week, you remember? It's it's modern-day Iraq, okay? So just kind of keep that. That's Shinar. That's where they built the Tower of Babel, you know? And so we see that. Now, the one thing we can note, guys, in verses 10 through 26 is the one thing we can grasp, and you'll see it. I want you to, I want you to, I want you to get this, okay? I want you to see this. The one thing we can know is how life begins to become short. You go, how so? Because Shem, after the flood, only lives 600 years. You're like, say what? 600 years? Yeah, he lives 600 years to where Nahor, if you'll see 10 generations later, he only lives to be 148. So every generation, they're, 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 they're dying off just a little bit and just a little bit and just a little bit. Just a little bit. Now, that's what I've noticed. Why? Because think about Noah. Noah lived to be 950 years old. And so you're going, wow, that was almost 1,000. Methuselah, right, lived to be 969 years old. So that's like, that's like a long time to live. Now, we're going to see Nahor only lived to be 148. Something's changed. Something's happened. Most people believe the canopy is taken off and the natural progression of man is age and eventually death. You guys with me? That's what I noticed. But you go, well, what can we apply to our heart? Well, here's what I want you to apply, okay? Here's what I want you to see. Now, I know we got a lot of youngsters in here, and I know it's hard for youngsters, but here's what I want you to see. Everybody dies. Everybody dies. Death cannot be cheated, nor can it be avoided. That's the one thing we need to grasp. And so here's what I want you to see. Moses, guys, Moses actually reminds us in Psalm 90 to number our days so that we gain a heart of wisdom. He actually says in verse 12, teach us to number our days so we get a heart of wisdom. In other words, here's what Moses is saying. Life is precious. Life is short. Take your faith serious. Life is precious. Life is short. Take your faith serious. Now, you might be here and you go, well, Ben, 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 time out, time out. Listen. I, gotta, I just got to talk to you for a second. How can I take my faith serious when I feel like all these things are happening to me, man? As soon as I get serious with God, if it's not one thing, it's another. If it's not, I mean, I try to, I try to be serious. I try to read my Bible and something blows up in my mind. I just, I don't understand. There's always something happening to me. Now, listen, I found a story that I found very interesting that I think will clear things up. And I really believe it illustrates life and how we should number our days, okay? Let me read it to you. Listen to this story. Once upon a time, a daughter complained to her father that her life was miserable and that she didn't know how she was going to make it. She was sincere. She was really upset. She was tired of fighting and struggling all the time. It seemed just as one problem was solved, another one soon followed. Her father, a chef, took her into the kitchen, filled three pots of water, and placed each one on a high fire. Each of the three pots began to boil. Then he placed potatoes in one pot, eggs in the second pot, and ground coffee beans in the third pot. You guys following the story? 
Then he let them sit and, and boil without saying his word. His daughter got frustrated, moaned impatiently, waited, wondering, what are you doing, dad? After 20 minutes, he turned off the burners. He took the potatoes out of the pot and he placed them in a bowl. He pulled the boiled eggs out and he placed them in a bowl and then he ladled the coffee out and he placed it in a cup. And turning to his daughter, he asked, what do you see? Well, potatoes, eggs, and coffee, she hastily replied. He says, look closer. He said, and touch the potatoes. She did, and she noticed that the potatoes were soft. Then he asked her to take out an egg and break it. After pulling it off, pulling it off the shell, she observed that the hard-boiled egg, finally, right, it was hard-boiled, finally, he asked her to take a sip of the coffee. Its rich aroma brought a smile to her face. So she says, Father, what does this mean? What does this mean, she asked. Then he explained that the potatoes and the eggs and the coffee beans, listen, each had faced the same adversity, the boiling water. However, each one reacted differently. The potato went in strong, hard, unrelenting, but the boiling water, it became soft and weak. The egg was fragile with thin outer protecting, protecting its liquid interior until it was put in the same boiling water. Then the inside of the egg became hard. However, the ground coffee beans were unique. After they were exposed to the boiling water, they actually changed the water and created something new. He looks at his daughter and he says, which one are you? When adversity knocks on your door, how do you respond? Are you a potato, an egg, or coffee bean? And his point was really simple. His point was, in life, things happen around us. Things happen to us. But the only thing that truly matters is what happens within us. So we got to ask ourselves those same questions. You see, there are times when we have the same adversity, but we end up being a potato. We used to be strong for the Lord. We used to be mighty. We used to go out and do stuff, and now we're just soft. Or maybe you're more like a hard-boiled egg, okay? You used to be soft and hard and used to, used to be sensitive, but because of adversity, you have a hard heart. And the things of the Lord aren't, aren't penetrating that hard anymore. Or maybe your coffee. And I pray that we're coffee. We all like coffee. I love coffee. But I want to be a coffee. Why? Because the coffee didn't, didn't react to the adversity. It actually changed it into something new. Into something new. Well, as we make our way to our text today, guys, we're introduced to Abraham. And really before the story gets going, we've got to go back and we've got to do some work, okay? And we'll move pretty quickly through this. We want to see where he came from and where he's going. This is just a brief introduction, but next week we'll walk with what we call Father Abraham, okay? So Genesis chapter 11, verse 10, it says, this is the genealogy of Shem. And Shem was 100 years old, and he, be, and he begot Arxad, uh, right? Arxad, two years after the flood. Now we've got to do some work, okay? We learned a little bit about Shem last week, okay? This section is more about Abram, where he came from, so it goes in a little bit more detail. So we learned that Shem was 100 years old, and he has a son, and his name was Arphaxad, okay, who was born two years after the flood, two years after the flood. Everybody got that? Let's go back and look at it again. He was born two years after the flood. Now, remember I told you to put on your thinking caps, right, right, Noah? 
had built the ark for, 100, for 120 years. Well, this sort of confirms that the ark took less than 100 years to build. You go, what do you mean? Verse 10 lets us know that Shem was 98 years old when the flood was over, 98, okay? Which makes you wonder, believe, how Noah took 120 years in building the ark. You go, oh, so let's see. He was 98 when the flood was over. We know that he was on for five months, so what if it was 60? What if, what if Shem was 30 when, you know, hey, help me build this ark, bud? We don't know. But I do know this. I want you to keep this in mind. We're going to see 10 generations from Shem to Abram, who eventually will change his name in chapter 17, verse 5, to Abraham. So Abram and Abraham are the same person. God's just going to change the name in chapter 17. Now, verse 11 says, after he begot Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years and begot sons and daughters. Shem was 600 years old, okay? Remember, Noah was 950, so something major has happened, right? 350 years old. This is, he dies. Now, Arphaxad lived 35 years and he begot Selah, right? Selah. After he begot Selah, Arphaxad lived 400 years, and, 403 years, and he begot sons and daughters. So we know that Arphaxad lived only 438 years. So now we went from 600 to 438, and Selah lived 30 years and begot Eber. And after he begot Eber, Selah lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg. So here's what we learned. Selah lived 433 years, so just a little bit more. Hey, things seem to be settling down. Now, Selah, now, remember, Selah also had Joktan. That's, that's another son, but he's not mentioned here. If you go back one chapter, he's mentioned there, but he's not mentioned here because he's not in the genealogy of Abraham. Now, you go, Ben, why do you bring that up? Because when you read your Bibles, guys, we don't want to confuse you. Sometimes he'll give us the big picture of everything, and then others go, okay, I want to I zero in on your mind. I just want to take you here, and I don't need to mention I can mention Jacob, but I don't really need to mention Esau. I can mention Selah, but I don't need to mention Joktan. And you go, oh, okay. Okay, it's important we understand and read the Bible that way so the devil doesn't come and go, hey, the Bible's confusing. Why are you reading it? It doesn't make sense at all. That's what he's talking about, okay? Verse 17 says, after he begot Peleg, Eber lived 430 years, and he begot sons and daughters. So now he gained some years because Eber actually lived 464 years, so he, he got some time. And Peleg lived 30 years, and begot Ru. After Ru, Peleg 209 years, and begot sons and daughters. Ru lived 32 years, and begot Surig. After he begot Surig... Or a uh, rug, sorry, Ru lived 207 years and begot some sons and daughters. So here's what they're doing. If you can't see, they're actually repopulating the earth just like God had told them. Okay, but we're focusing on, on Abraham. After he begot Sirug, Ru lived 237 years, begot sons and daughters. Uh, Sirug lived 30 years and begot Nahor. After he begot Nahor, uh, Sirug lived 200 years and begot sons and daughters. Look at verse 24. Nahor lived 29 years and begot Terah. After he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. Now, Nahor actually lived 148 years. So nine generations after, right? Nine generations before Nahor, Grandpa was living... Grandpa was living to be 950 years, his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa. So something has changed, right? Death is coming. Now, Terah lived 70 years, and he begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran, okay? So 
Here's where we are. Terah is going to, or Terah is going to have three boys. The one of them is Abram. The other is Nahor. Now, I want you to see, it's not the same Nahor. He probably named him after his grandpa, Nahor. Okay? But nonetheless, they name him, and then he named another son named Haran. Haran. So, where is Abraham? This is where Abraham comes from. Where is he going? Look at verse 27. It says, this is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abraham. It says it again, Nahor, Haran. Now, Haran has a boy, but his name is Lot. His name is Lot. Terah has a, right? Now, this means that Haran has a boy, but Terah has a grandson named Lot. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a mental note or put it in your Bible somewhere because this is going to be important for future teachings. Okay? If you're taking note, here's what I want you to jot down. It's funny because Abram actually means exalted father. Abram means exalted father. But here's what I want you to see. Yet Abram had no kids. Isn't that a strange name? What are, we, what are we going to call him? We're going to call him Exalted Father. And now he's, he's grown up and he's like, but why are you calling me Exalted Father? I don't have any kids. But here's what I wrote in my notes, but God, but God. And you go, why? Well, I love how God sees us. I love how God sees us even, even before we become who he wants us to become. I love that. I love the name he gives us even before. Well, in verse 28, guys, it says, And Haran died before his father, Terah, in the native land in the Ur of Chaldees. So the problem is, is that now, here's what we learn. And this is sad. You go, why? Because Haran died before his father. And, and we're in the process. We always think, right, parents need to outlive their kids. Parents need to die before their, or the kids. I mean, it should never be the round. Parents should never have to bury their kids. Yet that happens in our world. Well, listen, it happened in their world, right? Here's dad going, man, I'm supposed to die first, and I'm burying my son, Haran. Haran has a son. His name is Lot. So now he has to take care of Lot. And I think about that, guys, and I think about the world we live in, and I think, man, it should never be, and that's what breaks my heart. That's what breaks my heart. When, when a dad has to bury his son or his daughter, and it's nothing, and, it, and it's things that we don't like to think about. But I think, man, I wonder what I wonder what I wonder what Tara went through. I mean, he's going. Listen, I have three sons, and one's in heaven, one's in heaven. He says, right now they're hanging out at a place called the Ur of Chaldees. Okay, if you're taking note again, the this was a wealthy, populous, sophisticated yet pagan city in Mesopotamia. Okay, if you look at Mesopotamia. Modern day, it's about 220 miles east of Baghdad, okay? So you want to go east of Baghdad, right? Never eat sour watermelon. So you want to go this way. If Baghdad is here, 220 miles, that's where he's talking about. This is the Ur of Chaldees. So here's what I want you to see. Where did God call Abram from? Modern day Iraq, which is interesting. It's like, wow. So Abram is the first Iraqi? Absolutely. He's going to call him into the city of Canaan, okay? He's going to call him. He's going to change him. Now, here's what I want you to see, okay? If you look at it closely and you go, okay, so modern-day Iraq is really worldly. He's going to take him into the promised land. He's going to take him into Canaan, which is actually going to turn out to be Israel today. It's a beautiful picture of our walks with God, is it not? Because what he does is he takes us, right? He takes us individually out of the world 
He takes us out of the world. He changes our name. We're no longer worldly. We're now a Christian. And then he puts us in his promised land, which we know we get heaven. It's a beautiful picture. You can see that, okay? And so we see that, again, he's going to take him out of Ur of Chaldees. And then it says, And Abraham and Nahor took wives. And the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. Now, she was the daughter, of, or the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, for she had no child. Now, here's what we need to learn, okay? Here's what we need to learn. Terah had three children, Haran, Abram, and Nahor. Abraham is named first in verse 26 because of his spiritual preeminence. But it would appear that Haran was Terah's firstborn. So it's, it, it's one thing to bury a child, but it's a whole other thing to bury your firstborn child. Now, this happened before he left Ur of Chaldees on its journey of destiny. You know, Haran died. It's noteworthy that Haran died before his father. In the normal course of life, sons should bury their fathers and not the other way around. Now, here's what I want you to catch. Abram married Sarai. Sarai is his, actually his half-sister. We won't catch that until Genesis chapter 20, verse 12. So he sort of married his half-sister. Nahor married his niece, Milcah, verse 29. Later, the law of Moses would outlaw the marriage of those who were closely related. Okay, you can't be marrying your cousins. You can't be marrying your second. You, 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 Moses will do that. But right now, Abraham married his half-sister, and Nahor married his niece, which is weird. Well, Haran is gone, so we know that. Sarai and Abraham have, they don't have any children, yet his name means exalted father. Now, I want you to note the change, verse 31. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, Abraham's wife, and they went out from the Ur of Chaldees to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to a city, now I want you to see this, called Haran. And dwelt there. You got to be. They named a kid Haran. He died, but the actually city named Haran. Okay, and that's where they dwelt. Okay, they dwelt there. Verse thirty-two says, "So the days of Terah were two hundred and five years. Terah died in Haran." Now I want you to see something. Okay, I want you to see something. Stephen, right in the book of Acts, is actually explaining the history before he gets stoned to death. And in Acts chapter 7, you can jot this down or you can turn there. Acts chapter 7, 2 and 3, it says, and this was Stephen's reply. Acts chapter 7, 2 and 3. Brothers and fathers, listen to me. Our glorious father, our glorious God appeared to our ancestor Abraham in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. God told him, leave your native land and your relatives and come to the land I will show you. Your attention, please. That's exactly what God told, told, told Tara. Tara said, hey, listen, you need to leave the Ur of Chaldees, and you need to come to the place that I'm telling you. Problem, problem. Here's what I want you to, I, I want to point out. God called Abraham to go to the land of Canaan. Dad says, okay, let's go. This is right. He's, he, he's going to go out. The problem is, is who's the authority in the house? Right now, dad is, and dad only goes as far as Haran. 
goes as far as Iran. Now, if you were to go from Iraq to Israel, you could go straight across. There's a straight, straight. Now, it's desert, and it's probably brutal, and that's probably why Dad didn't go that way, okay? Terah decides to go up north to a city called Haran. He goes 700 miles up north. Now you go, what's the problem? Maybe he's, he's kind of hanging out with the trade route and making sure. Here's the problem, guys. The problem is, is that he stayed in Haran where he died. He didn't move any farther. You go, okay, okay. So here's my thought. Here's my thought. How many Christians are like Terah? You go, what do you mean? God calls us to do something or to somewhere, and the problem is is that we only go halfway with God and we stop. Hey, listen, Haran's just as good. It's just as good. No, God has so much more for you. No, it's good. I, I'm, I'm good. You know what? God has put a gift in every one of our hearts, and he has a desire, and he has a perfect plan, and sometimes, sometimes in our flesh we'll stop, and we'll never we'll, we'll stop pursuing all that God has for us. And here's what we learned. We learned that Terah dies in Haran, and he died without having God's very best. Because God had called him and his family over to the land of Canaan. I thought, wow, wow. Now, here's a couple of interesting tidbits, and we're about to close. And we're going to do, we'll do some communion. Here it is. First of all, now, listen, with the death of Abraham's father, Terah, this left Abram in kind of in charge of his whole family, okay? At any rate, I mean, from this point on, Abram felt responsible for Lot. Note again here that the lifespans were getting shorter and shorter and shorter, okay? So Abraham's now in charge. Next week, we're going to see that God reiterates that, hey, you need to get out of your father's country. You need to go to a land I'm telling you. He's in charge. You go, okay, that's the first tidbit. The second tidbit is, listen to this, catch this. I find this very interesting, okay? If you begin with Adam and add up all the years to Abram, you'll discover that Abram was born 19... 1,948 years after Adam, 1948. And Abraham is the promise to the believers. Israel is the promise to Jews. Israel was actually born again in 1948. I thought, wow. From Adam to Abram, 1948. From the time Israel became a nation again, it was 1948. And I thought, wow, isn't that cool? And you go, what's the point? Listen, when it comes to the Word of God, you can't make this stuff up, man. He's showing us if we'll just dig deep enough. Okay, let's close. Let's close. Abraham's story. We're going to hang out with him for 12 12 chapters, okay? Okay. Uh, We'll go into great detail about Father Abraham. Um, Here's what I love about words. I mean, about God's word. Even though Father Abraham is like a spiritual giant. You guys remember singing Father Abraham in in Sunday school? 
Father Abraham had many sons, right? We sang that and we did that. Even though he was a spiritual giant, guys, what I love about God's word is that we discovered that he was just as human as you and me. And he made some bad choices. He's supposed to go to Canaan. And somehow he ends up in Egypt. And when he goes to Egypt, he says, tell him you're my sister. Because you're so beautiful, baby. If they think you're my wife, they'll kill me and they'll want to go out with you. Well, God's like, no, 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 no. He made a bad choice. And I love that. God steps in. God is always with him, and he's always been leading the way. So we're going to hang out with Abraham next week. It's going to be amazing. So make sure you read ahead. Guys, read chapter 12 of Genesis, and you'll kind of get to know a little bit about Abraham. But tonight, we're going to spend some time, guys, in worship, and we're going to spend some time in communion. Now, here's what I ask you to do. Communion should be a just an amazing, just amazing celebration of our salvation, our walks with God. This should be the time where we just rejoice because here's what we're saying. When we take the elements, when we take the cup and we take the bread, what we're really saying to Jesus is, listen, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, and I believe in the soon return that you're coming back for me. I believe you died on the cross. I believe this is what I'm doing. This is symbolic of what I believe. And that's why the Lord warns us about not being right with him and taking communion. He says, hey, hey, no, this is serious. You got to be careful. You got to really understand what you're doing. You go, well, what would be like, like what would taking this, what would it be like if I, I give me something? I'll say, well, the first thing it, it would be is that um, we're not really saved. That we've never, we've never given our life to Jesus. And we come and we take communion because maybe we think we're saved or maybe, and here's the problem with thinking we're saved. We really know if we're not. We really know if we are and we really know if we're not. I mean, we know this. We know if we're playing church or we know if we really have a real walk with God. And so the Bible says, don't eat this in an unworthy manner. And you go, what's an unworthy manner? Make sure you're saved. Make sure you really are walking with Jesus. That's the first thing. Second thing, an unworthy manner is like if you if you have bitterness or anger or you've got some you've got some 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 sin that you need to confess, confess that. Don't come up here until you confess that and get time and get clean with God and say, God, I'm sorry. I've been walking the world. I had a bad attitude today. I, I blew it here. I blew it, whatever it might be. And then confess that, and then you're able to come because this is a serious thing. And then when you come, you're saying, God, I, I rejoice, and I look forward to having communion with you in heaven, having with, with you in heaven. So we're going to pray. When, here's how it's going to go down, okay? We're a small crowd, so whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready, you just come up, you pray, pray together, pray with your spouse, however you want to do this. This is your time. Just going to lead us in worship till 8.30, and then he'll dismiss, but this is your time, okay? So whenever you're ready, but let me just say this, okay? Let me say this. I never want to leave an opportunity of gathering together without an opportunity to, to ask you, you know, if you're right with God. If you have a real relationship, because see, maybe, maybe God's been knocking on your heart tonight and, and, you know, you listen to the Bible study and you're thinking, man, I don't know if I have a real relationship with God. I don't know. We're going to take communion. I don't know if I have a real relationship, you know, but I want one. I'm here and, 
And God, I, I want to know you. I want to confess my sins to you. I want to I be saved. I want to be saved. You see, and then I say, okay, well, if that's you, then maybe you just, maybe you just need to make a commitment to Jesus tonight. Maybe you just need to go, hey, this is my night. And you go, well, what would I have to do? Like, what would I really have to do? Well, you'd have to search your heart to make sure. Lord, am I saved? Am I saved? If I died tonight, would I go to heaven? You go, amen. If you're going, man, I don't know. And what I would ask you to do is simply lift up your hand when we pray. You know, why do I have to lift up my hand? Because I want God to see your heart. Say, man, I want to be saved. And then I'll lead you in a prayer. And we'll, and we'll pray together. And then you, you'll be free to take communion. Okay? Jesus, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your great love. We thank you that we're, Lord, just, um, we're just excited about communion, God. We're, we thank you for Abraham. We thank you for what we're going to learn from him. And so, Father, tonight, I pray. I pray that every one of us would be saved. Every one of us would be clean. God, give us clean hands and a pure heart. And so, Lord, tonight, with every eye closed and every head bowed, would you just move your Holy Spirit? I don't know. Maybe everyone's saved here. I say amen, hallelujah. But if there's somebody here that wants to make a a firm commitment to you, tonight would be the night. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, pray for me? I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to surrender completely. If that's you, will you just lift up your hand so I can see you? God bless you guys in front. I see you. Anyone else? Anyone else just want want to just get clean with God? I'm going to pray for you guys. Anyone else? Father, thank you. Thank you for these young men who make a, who are going to make a, a bold and serious commitment to you. I thank you for them, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. If you two guys want to make a serious commitment, come right here and I'll pray with you. I'll lead you in a prayer and we're going to get right with God. Give these guys a hand, y'all. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.